0: And welcome to the first real life episode of Honest Academia. And we're very excited to bring you this long awaited episode. So, today's episode, we're going to talk about assumptions of academia. Um, We got quite a few through on our
1: variety of social media platforms that we have. So, I thought we would just do a random number generator.
0: Yeah. Sounds good. All right. Let's generate a number. Interested, but I actually was. (laughs) <laughs>
1: okay, so our first number
0: is four. Ooh. Shall I read it or do you want to read this one? I think you should read it. Okay. So we've anonymized everyone because we forgot to ask everyone if they wanted to be <laughs> their names to be included. Um so next time we will ask if people want their names included. But please know we thank you all for your contribution and we do really appreciate it. So number four. I honestly assumed most people pursued a PhD because they wanted to teach at the university level in brackets like me. I had very little understanding of the research priority slash pressure. I did not do a PhD because I
1: was gagging to be a teacher despite being a teaching assistant right now. <laughs> yeah. And I definitely didn't assume that. But I did assume that that's the job that you would get. Yeah, I didn't assume that would be my natural progression. But I didn't go into it wanting to do that. Does that make
0: sense? That makes sense, I get you. Yeah I, I completely, um, it wasn't my assumption that because I, I like teaching, the teaching I've done but I think I definitely prefer the research environment. I want to stress that it's not that I don't want to be a
1: lecturer, future universities that might read, read, future universities that might listen to this. It's not that I don't want to be a lecturer, I just didn't Jump into my PhD to be a lecturer. I'm here for science communication, though, guys.
0: Also, second all of that.
1: <laughs> yes, we hire us Hi when us. we get our PhDs. Okay. <laughs> Next assumption is.
0: And...
1: <laughs> Can you do a drum roll?
0: Yeah. <laughs> 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 Boom. 20. 20. <laughs> I'm scrolling. So, number 20. And this person said that doing a PhD, their assumption is that doing a PhD is about being smart when, however, it's actually more about project management skills and a determination to learn and power through the tedious or difficult tasks. Yes, yes, yes. I 100% 100 agree. agree. I think when I started or... I mean, I can't even remember when I thought about the idea of doing a PhD, but I definitely thought that everyone was a complete and utter Einstein. I thought, I thought to get there, you had to be the most intelligent person ever, when actually really, like this person says, intelligence, yeah, important. You've got to have a bit of intelligence there because it is hard, but it is definitely all about project management, managing your time being determined, keeping going when experiments keep failing or when you just can't quite figure something out. Um, so yeah, thousand yeah. percent, get
1: that. I definitely understand that. Because I think when I was doing my undergrad, before, I think before, before uni, it definitely wasn't something I'd even necessarily thought about. Or I was just like, hey, doctor is a doctor. Obviously, you're clever. And then in uni, if I ever saw a PhD student, in my mind, I was like, yeah, okay let me use words that make sense. I can't mess up because they will look at me like I'm dumb because they're insanely clever. And, even the, and I think that's probably a lot of where like, the imposter syndrome sort of feeds off of, right? Because we, we're just worried that we're not good enough because we're not intelligent enough. Because in our minds, we're still like, we have to be this ideal from day one. But even at, like, even at the end of your PhD, like, in my mind, I'm not going to be this crazy intelligent person. But that's okay, no one's told me, no one ever has told me, you need to be clever, like you need to be genius. Einstein, like you said, right? But we're still here, like, oh, I don't know if I'm good enough, because I don't think I'm very clever. But it's not even really about that. It is literally, like you said, about how hard you work. It's crazy, isn't it?
0: Yeah, I I completely get you. I I think a lot of it stems from through school through mm. um because I think if you did well at a test it was really nice and I think mm. that, that was my thing I I didn't have any hobbies at school at all I was very chatty proper chat box used to get started, <laughs> and, like my teachers would probably be like oh yeah Beth. Um, no I wasn't bad um I just I don't know I was just struggled sometimes to like focus in the classroom but I love mm. doing well on tests and mm. Yeah, I just loved doing well and the, the congratulations you got from that, I guess. And then that kind of like mm. going and kept going. So I think in my head, I probably instilled that I need to do super well all the time when actually getting to this stage, yeah, doing well is great and whatever. But if you failed something or if you failed a module or if you didn't do amazing in your A-levels, that is fine. And that doesn't mean you won't ever be able to get to a PhD level. Like it does not. Yeah. So if you're listening and you haven't actually started a PhD yet and in your mind you think, oh, I'm never going to be able to get the grades for it, you don't need top grades throughout everything. Mm, I didn't get top grades. And I'm here. Yes, you are.
1: So, yeah, no, definitely. I definitely agree. I even feel like it's less about your – and the the way that we're defining intelligence, right, is through our, like, standardised tests so they it's just so such a
0: rubbish.
1: <laughs> so rubbish it's such a a silly way to define whether you are or aren't intelligent because you could be ice you could get a hundred percent on all your exams ever in the world right but if you don't know how to deal with a quick change in like your settings or your plans you'd you'd been so organized and you planned everything but something like just Something changes, and if you can't think and work with it, how are you gonna be able to adapt in a PhD? Because it's gonna change, and things are gonna go wrong. Problem
0: solving, my favorite PhD word. Problem That's solving. what we have to do. Literally, on a day-to-day basis, like all you do is problem solve. And I didn't think about this until I started. Do you know when people say, oh yeah, I'm good at problem solving? I thought, mm, potentially okay at problem solving, got to PhD level, thought mm, need to work on my problem-solving skills. <laughs> but now I'm second year, I've definitely, definitely improved. Like something can go wrong in an experiment. And now I'm like, right, I can figure something out to do myself and then I'll go and speak to my supervisor about it. Whereas mm. before I was like, ah, help me, ah.
1: <laughs> I think I'm definitely learning how to do that still, obviously, having only been a couple of months and possibly starting at the worst time ever it's it's been just all of my things have been changed I can I can never be like this will definitely be done by this day I will definitely start testing in three months because lo and behold we're in tier five so there's and if I couldn't I do not think if I was any more quote unquote intelligent I would be in any other better position I would be in the same position me being more or less again, quote, unquote, intelligent, doesn't change any of that, but doesn't make me any less of a PhD student, so.
0: Exactly, it's not about intelligence, oh, I loved that one, that was a really good assumption.
1: I think so, too.
0: Okay, sure,
1: next one, are we ready?
0: I'm ready. Drum
1: roll, please.
0: Boom! Oh, this is bad.
1: 26.
0: (laughs) 26, okay, so this person said that their assumption was that academia was home to stable, permanent jobs.
1: I don't know what I can comment on that one because we've only, I've only just started, and I'm not funded, so by essence, I'm unstable.
0: So I I get what they're saying. I think what they're trying to say is is when they before they like got into academia, mm. they thought that if you got a PhD you'd be sorted for life like there'd be loads of jobs for you there's loads of opportunity um but actually unfortunately jobs in academia are difficult to get because one it's super competitive because there's loads of people well loads not that many people do PhDs let's be honest I'm not sure on stats we need a fact checker um but but like It's not everyone who does one, obviously, but obviously out of people who are doing them, there's then the next stage up is obviously postdoc. And there's a certain number of jobs for those, but the higher up you get the pyramid, the fewer jobs there are. So we've got all of these people with PhDs and unfortunately, just hit my microphone. um, Unfortunately, there's not enough jobs for everyone. And it's different in every country as well. Like someone told me something about a 10 year track. I still don't really understand what a 10 year track is. I 10 year, 10 year. I remembered it. 10 year. Yeah, I don't know. That's how I first heard what 10 year meant and Mean (laughs) Girls. And then I'm Googling it, still not really understanding it. And then I went on Twitter and someone explained it to me. And I think, please someone tell me if I'm wrong. I think it's basically once you've got 10, 10 (laughs) year, I can't say it. Uh, Once you've got whatever that word is you can base you basically got a job for life I think I think what that's what that means or they can't the uni can't just kick you off it's not like a a fixed term contract that's what I think I get and apparently they're really really difficult to get so um yeah I think I agree with that assumption I think I did come to a PhD thinking all right I'll get my PhD and then I'll literally be able to work wherever I want in the world and I'll never have to worry about not having a job but actually when I think about it that's probably the thing that I worry about most during my PhD is getting a job after
1: okay yeah okay I see what you mean for sure and that even stems not even stems that even starts like early on you know our parents say will encourage you to go into higher education thinking you'll definitely be able to get a better job and so naturally you'll think the higher up I go in higher education the more qualified I am and then the more job opportunities I have. But actually, you're right. The higher up we go, when you get to the PhD level, it's not that there's more job opportunities. Sure, maybe they are better paying job opportunities, but every single person who's applying for that job has the same qualification as you. And so everyone is crazy qualified, and there's just not as many. Someone even told me that it's actually harder for you to get a job out of a PhD because everyone's trying to go for a postdoc everyone's trying to go for a lectureship. That's obviously that's only in the science field that I'm aware of. I don't know what happens after a PhD when you do like a, a humanities subject. So I'd love to hear actually, we, I think that'd be great to hear actually, right? What the, the path is for a PhD student post PhD if you're doing a PhD in the humanities and not in the sciences. So that'd be quite interesting to hear about. But from our, from our perspective, at least from my perspective, I didn't go in with that assumption. Because I knew it was going to be hard, because I'm pretty sure someone told me this isn't going to get you a better job. (laughs) Um, So you better love your PhD. Do you know what I mean?
0: Yeah, I think also what's interesting is because PhDs are so different in different countries, that people come out Mm. with completely different skill sets. So in the UK, most PhDs, like your limit is four years if you're full time, like you have to do the PhD in four years. Um, most people if they're funded only get three years of funding, um, you're lucky if you get four years. And is then, that true? Yeah yeah most people only get three years I mean that's no but like you happens. have to do your PhD within four years. Yeah so if if you're, full if, you're time, full, if you're full-time if you're a full-time student four years is your time limit that's the UK. Whereas, obviously, So what like, happens if you go past four years? Well I mean if there's been issues and you've clocked so you can stop the clock so it might take five years but if you stopped the clock it's okay but the there has to be reasons for you stopping the clock basically i see but then if you compare that to something in america where i mean i'm not the expert so if i'm wrong someone please tell me um a lot of their phd programs are like i want to say five to seven years because they do it's like grad school so they go after undergrad and then they are there for a long time. So they do like a couple of years before they then become a PhD candidate, and that's when they then focus on that project. So through that, I mean, obviously, it must end up being so much more expensive because if you're a uni still for that long, that is expensive and American unis are expensive. But then I guess at least maybe you've got more opportunities for more papers, I guess. And it's the same in some other countries, I think some European countries to get a PhD, you have to have a certain number of papers published. Whereas in the UK, you don't have to, to get your PhD.
1: That's mad, I did not know that.
0: It does help, the job-wise. Yeah, of course.
1: Mm. I did not know that.
0: Learning something new every day.
1: Exactly. Next assumption, shall we move on? Are you gonna do the drum roll?
0: (laughs) (laughs) I really need an actual drum roll
1: boom! Eight was our next number.
0: Eight. Just so you know. I'm scrolling. Um, okay, so this person's assumption was that all professors supervisors don't care about their students and then they said luckily this is not true and they are very willing to talk and interact with students and this person says that they get treated just like a colleague which is nice
1: that's so beautiful i have heard a fair few like horror stories about supervisors even like not in the phd level i remember in undergrad where like people were just horrified at the way that their supervisors were talking to them or like the lack of communication but you know alhamdulillah um thank god that was never my experience my supervisors have always been top tier like I've only had two effectively so yeah no I've definitely heard some horror stories but um, I haven't heard a lot of PhD horror stories which I'm quite thankful of I think with my PhD pal series that I have going on on my Instagram and I guess technically YouTube um, not a lot of people have like hated their supervisor and I think a lot of that stems from the fact that they've been told that supervisor is so important. So when looking for their PhDs, they've been looking for supervisors who gel well with them, who they can work with in terms of their work ethics and just their personalities. And I I fully support that because I've been so blessed to have a supervisor that I definitely get along with. And again, luckily, just know very well. Um, I don't know about you, Beth, and (laughs) if you've had all these stories or not, but you've been in this game longer than I have, so.
0: In this game, I still feel like I am an amoeba in the <laughs> um, Yeah, so I mean, I'm so fortunate with my supervisors. I mean, I'm sure they won't listen to this, but phenomenal supervision. <laughs> we had this little thing called the Supervisionaries Award and um, where we got an email and they were like, do you want to nominate your supervisors? So I nominated both of mine because they're both so great. They're both very different and got very different um, styles, but they complement each other really well and I couldn't have asked for better supervisors. So thank you very much. Um, anyway, I have unfortunately heard some proper horror stories on Twitter. So before I started, I assumed that most supervisors were quite nice, I think, here and there. But then on Twitter, like, sometimes, I mean, I heard once that somebody's supervisor didn't even turn up to their viva, or that they'd literally had like two meetings in the whole year, in, in, in the whole of the whole three years or something. Um, what yeah so I I guess it depends like what your field is like what your university is um again because most people wanted to do have wanted to do a PhD for a couple of years before they start wanting to do it I guess well that was certainly my aspect and because I knew how competitive they were it definitely would have been easy to just take the first project that came along because I mean applying to them is hard anyway getting an interview really hard to get an interview and then actually been offered one, it is difficult to say no. So I can totally imagine if someone hadn't um researched the supervisor enough um or got the down low about how their they their style basically, it would be so easy to end up with a supervisor who literally doesn't care. Um, but yeah, like Mal says, if you haven't started your PhD yet, make sure you research your supervisor very very important in fact in some cases that potentially is more important than the research topic because if you do want to stay in academia people do end up changing topics postdoc anyway so your phd project yeah it's important to learn skills to train you to be if you're doing science to train you to be a scientist but your supervisor relationship is so important
1: yeah and it's important that you pick the right supervisor for you and for your interests way Just so much more important than like the institution that you're in. I think especially when we're an undergrad, the emphasis on going to a good university is so heavy. But don't let that overshadow um, your decision and your choice about where you want to study for your PhD because it does not matter. It does not matter. It literally like all that matters is that you've got the right supervisor for you in terms of how you want to work in terms of you know hours maybe depending on the kind of field that you're looking for and also research interests you want to work with someone who can actually supervise you and guide you because that's their job at the end of the day
0: couldn't have put it better myself now um you're so much more eloquent (laughs) i didn't even script it i didn't even script it you know what we actually haven't scripted this and i'm really impressed I mean we've probably messed it up now now that I've said that <laughs> um well yeah yeah because we kind of want we weren't sure about whether we should let this like free flow but I mm. think I think this one especially I also think a podcast is supposed to be a conversation um mm. so you kind of want some free flow Free yeah. flow. am I saying that right free flow free flow it sounds weird
1: you've said it too many times free flow now I'm confused Free-flowing? Yeah. I mean, I guess a conversation is supposed to
0: just flow, right? Maybe that's why
1: it's meant to... A good conversation is meant to flow, yeah. Yeah, some
0: conversations don't flow.
1: No, that's not fun. Can you imagine one day, hopefully, we'll be doing a podcast together, like, in person? And I can bring my microphone. (laughs) And we don't have to mute ourselves when the other is talking.
0: Um, egg boxes around us to muffle the sound what? like egg boxes don't they like absorb sound
1: you want me to put an egg box around my head well like we could have a little room of egg boxes I take that okay. off <laughs> okay I think now that Beth is starting to talk about egg boxes it's time to wrap up this <laughs> first episode of the podcast um, did you have assumptions that you wanted to share? I know that we've read a lot from our social media um, platforms and stuff, but maybe it'll be interesting to hear from
0: ourselves. Yes. Um, so I think my biggest—I've written a, a little thing actually. Um, <laughs> I think my—I think we talked about it. My biggest one was probably that everyone's a super genius, um, mm. when actually that's not the case, um, and it is more just about hard work, determination, perseverance. Um, and also, I didn't really know what PhD was. So I knew the idea of a PhD and you become a doctor. Um, well, I didn't really know what a PhD entailed. So I think speaking to some other first gen students, they basically said that they had no assumptions because they had no idea about academia. And I completely, I do resonate with that, actually. Um, I certainly didn't know what a PhD student did. If, if, If someone had said, oh, what does a PhD student do? I'd have probably been like, they read and they write. And maybe they do experiments if they're a scientist. But actually, there is so much more to it. Like, there's project management, there's teaching, there's science communication, there's things like we're doing, like podcasts, there's conferences to go to, there's presentations to give, there's... So much to it that I think that's what you should focus on. It shouldn't be like not doing, not not doing super well because you want to do well. But I think a PhD is really about the journey. <laughs> <laughs> it's about the journey of getting from like where you start to where you finish.
1: Mm, Hundred yeah. percent, definitely. I think where. I don't really remember what my assumptions were, even though I've literally just started. Um, but the two main ones I can think about aren't really very, they're not like general ones, they're more to do with myself. So as a person, um, I wouldn't say I'm not very confident. So I'm i am quite confident in my abilities, even though I wouldn't necessarily say that I'm a genius, in in any way, shape or form. But I know that I can work hard and get to where I wanna go as long as I put the effort in, because that's what I've been doing my whole life. So I came into this PhD thinking, yeah, um, obviously everyone's been talking about imposter syndrome. Every person I interviewed or ever spoke to, and I was like, oh, what would you say to me before I start my PhD? They're like, oh, just be aware of imposter syndrome, da, 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 da. And so in my head I'm like, okay, cool, imposter syndrome, in check. I know it exists, but I know that I'm meant to be here saying the things in my head, like, yeah, I definitely meant to be here. Otherwise I wouldn't be here. All of those things. And because I thought, you know, I, I, like I said, I'm quite confident in my abilities. I didn't think imposter syndrome would hit me as hard as it did, especially considering I joined a lab that I already knew, but yeah, that was definitely an assumption that I didn't think imposter syndrome would hit me. And I, and I'm very confident in my abilities. So Guys, if you're about to start a PhD and you are confident in your abilities, and I hope that you are, firstly, I really, really hope that you are, because if you're about to start a PhD or you're even thinking about applying for a PhD, you must be amazing just as a human being, and I wish you well. But believe me, imposter syndrome will hit you, but don't let it, like, suffocate you. So that's easier said than done, but it definitely, definitely will hit you. So just be ready. Have a little pep talk with yourself every day because you can do this and you will do this but you just gotta put the effort in Right, and I think my other assumption I had was I'd be able to do my experiments and I'd be able to do things again because I'm quite organised um, and I'd, I do like to plan things in advance but with with small leeway for um, like error but small leeway for error does not account for a global pandemic <laughs> so my main assumptions
0: <laughs> I love that you actually knew what imposter, (laughs) wow, Um, I love that you actually had kind of been told about imposter syndrome, Um, Mm. I think I've always had an idea of what it was but I don't think I ever recognised it for its name and whatnot Um, and I think, I mean we're going to do a whole episode on imposter syndrome because there is literally so much to talk about so obviously Mm. we're just going to briefly mention it now but I think, like you were saying about confidence in your abilities, have some self-belief because you need self-belief to get through a PhD. And, and like you said, the pep talk thing. Honestly, I literally tell myself I'm doing a good job, and I'm working hard, and I'm phenomenal. Like mm. six, seven times a day. Like, not even. Great yet, honestly, but I am great. I, um, I work very hard. I try my best and honestly, that's what's so important, isn't it? Like just trying your best, believing in yourself, finding a group of people that also believe in you and bring you, I was going to say pull you up, but that's wrong. Push you, push you up? Who lift you up, that's the word. That's it, lift. You up. <laughs> yeah, you want to find a group of people who lift you up and who believe in your abilities as well. And I think, mm. I mean, we definitely help each other with that. I would say like, we're very supportive and I love that. And like, 100%. So, our in intro you really hope that other people have other people like us yeah
1: in there definitely Anyway, lives, I mean. <laughs> yeah we get it if you listen to the introduction you'll understand what we're blabbering on about at this point in time but that's i think that's also why it's important to choose a, a good supervisor for you because if you have a good supervisor and they accept you and they want to work with you then you have to understand that no one's wasting their time to work with someone Who isn't good enough to do this? Because what is the point? Like, really think about it. If you had to put your, if you're thinking in your mind, okay, so I'm not good enough to do this. Maybe I'm being like pitied, and someone just wants to give me a chance or whatever. Just think about whether if you were in their position and you were doing research, if you're a lecturer or like you're even a professor, the likelihood, inshallah, for all of us. your likelihood is you have a huge workload. You are not going to want to take on a student that you don't believe can do this. So if you've approached someone and they've said, yeah, I do want to work with you or yeah, I think you should have an interview. Then know that 100% they believe in you because they wouldn't waste their time on you
0: really and truly. I love that. And this takes back. Exactly I should be a motivational speaker. Yeah, life coach. Come on, Mal. That, that's what you should do yeah. now. As well that's as it. your PhD, because you should keep doing your PhD. Because I believe in you and I think you're great. Anyway, what I was gonna say is Thanks. That, it's okay. That leads us back to one of the I was just reading some of the assumptions and I think this is probably one of my favorites. This person put that they assumed that everyone knew what they were talking about. But actually, (laughs) in reality, the more you learn, the less you know. And that is a thousand percent true. Like when I think back to my master's, I felt like I knew so much, probably because I was like full of knowledge for all my exams and stuff. But when you get to a PhD, like you have to lead all that reading. So if you want to learn stuff, you have to read it and teach yourself, Mm. unless you're on a course where you have to do modules and whatnot. But I mean, that's not how mine, mine is. And the more papers I read, the more I think, God, what am I, what am I talking about? Like, what, mm. what is a cell? What is a neuron? What is neurovascular coupling? That's my research project. And sometimes I have to think, eh, what is it? Um, but yeah, I love that, the fact that I'm not the only one <laughs> who first <laughs> thought that everyone knew everything they were talking about. Literally. But also, most people also think that the more they know, the less they know.
1: Mm, definitely. Definitely. That's like when I come into work and kids are like, oh, what do you... so if you're not a teacher, miss, what are you doing? And I'm like, oh, I do a PhD. Oh, what's your, what's that? And it's a doctorate. It means I'm going to be a doctor after a couple of years. Oh, so what are you studying and then, miss, at uni? And I'm like, oh, psychology, uh, cognitive neuroscience, kind of, social cognitive neuroscience. Oh, so science. Miss, what's a bacteria cell? As if I'd know. <laughs> As if I would know what a bacteria cell is. As if, what's this? I don't know. Uh, miss, what's that word for, you know, that thing that, you know, makes photosynthesis work? I don't know. I have no idea.
0: Um, we hope you enjoyed our episode today about assumptions. I Yay. really enjoyed chatting about not only my assumptions, but other people's assumptions. And it was nice mm. to hear that other people had similar ones to me. And
1: also yes. the different ones. Yes. Yeah, I 100% agree. It's definitely good to hear people's assumptions. It's nice to hear about it and then sort of talk about it and then debunk it. And especially because we're, we're kind of debunking or like, you know, discussing um, at very, very early stages. So even though, even though that we're talking about it now, we're, we're still going to be able to discuss similar things later on down the line, but have more of an insight because we'll be more you know, I wanted to say senior, but we'll still not, we won't be senior, but we'll just be more experienced. We're both still pretty young in our academic careers as early career researchers, as first gen PhD students. We don't emphasize that enough and how amazing that is that we are where we are in, I just take it. Yeah. As if, if you're a first gen PhD student, Beth as a first gen PhD student, me, myself as a PhD student, like just deep, How amazing that is! Because really, this academic world was not meant for us.
0: That's true. So, if you're a first gen, big up to you. I said big Big up. up. (laughs) Not something I. Um, Congrats! I am rubbing off on you Working hard. You have made it somewhere where you probably didn't think you could make it. So Mm. good on you. And with
1: very limited guidance, most likely. We say most likely and all that kind of stuff because obviously you might have been fortunate enough to have people. Surrounded you in your life who could guide you but for a lot of us that isn't the case and we need to appreciate ourselves a bit more yeah that's true even though. if you aren't a 1st year PhD if you're a PhD student appreciate yourself a little bit more yeah because this is a hard thing to be doing be your own cheerleader
0: or I mean if mm. not me and Mal could probably just do a whole episode of just cheering honestly you on. yeah we could just like, give you just well done so you. much love welcome to you <laughs> tell me something great about what you did today yeah. Oh, we should do like phone calls. Nice <laughs> anyway, it would be an episode. It would be so wholesome. Would be nice. Yeah, get a cheerleader like Mal, or like Beth. Yeah, or like us. You can have but, us, but a team. Why not? Onisacademia cheering you on. <laughs> um, so um, thanks for listening today. Um, that's the end of our episode. We hope you enjoyed hearing about our assumptions and other people's assumptions and if we did mention you thank you for sending us any your um, thoughts and also if we didn't mention you we are we apologize we just don't have time to go through everyone but do know that we do appreciate your contributions and thank you
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah and don't forget to share this with anyone you think would you know benefit from this or just to be nice and share it anyway and leave us suggestions like what do you want to hear about um or even just tell some more assumptions you guys can have discussions of yourselves uh, with yourselves of yourselves <laughs> um, yeah like this we said this in our first introduction podcast but this really is a podcast for all of us and to, yeah so be sure to like and i don't know i think you can subscribe so if you can subscribe definitely do that <laughs> and follow us on our socials, be it on Twitter or on Instagram or on Anchor um, or on Spotify. Is that technically a social? Beth, is that technically a social? Um, I mean,
0: you can definitely follow us on Spotify. So I'm going to say it's kind of a social. Follow us on Spotify.